You're listening to The Raven and the Writing Desk, the weekly podcast about the writings of Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. This is episode 103. Hello, ladies and gents. Welcome back to The Raven and the Writing Desk. I'm your host, Chris Lester, the author of the Metamore City Story Universe. You can find my stuff at chrislester.org. And I am here today in the virtual studio with Abigail Hilton. Abby is the creator of the Panamandora Story Universe, where she has written eight novels and a whole bunch of short stories. She is also the author of the epic fantasy novel Hunter's Unlucky and the Even Malachi children's books. Her new book is called Jager Thunder, and it is on sale now. Welcome back to the show, Abby. Thank you. I'm glad to be back. I'm a little frazzled. I was up all night with the stray cat. That was not my original intent when I scheduled this interview. But I'm, <laughs> I'm glad to be back. Uh, Chris and I have worked together a lot. Chris was the voice of one of my uh, crowd favorite characters, Gwen. And yeah, glad to be back. I just saw the new cover art for Gwen for uh, the Cowrie Catcher series. I quite like it. <laughs> it's so pretty. I love it. I told Ra for those. I was like, this needs to be like the prettiest version of these characters because these are covers. Like people need to look at it and be like, that's a good picture of you sort of thing. <laughs> so for those who have never heard of the world of Panamandora, how would you describe it? Give me your elevator pitch for the series. Hmm. Well, I the elevator pitch that you once gave was a good man realizes he's working for the evil empire and decides to do something about it. <laughs> did I come up with that? I like that. You did. It would, I, I liked it too. <laughs> so when we last left the heroes of the Defiance, they were sailing back to Holivaris to see Gerard's family one last time before they left Wefervane. Now, I remember when the Guild of the Cowrie Catchers series was finished and you were talking about telling this story and it's like, yeah, this is going to be like a little short story after the, the, after the main series, it'll be a nice coda to it. And then this turns up in my inbox as this huge, hefty novel. So I just have to ask what the heck happened? Ah. Uh... Well, I did write uh, just a final, yeah, a coda, basically, to the original series. It's just this one chapter where they talk about going by to visit Gerard's family on their way out. And I knew I knew that I could write a novel about that. I kind of, I knew when I wrote that, that they probably were going to end up staying the winter instead of just a few days. But then I wrote The Scarlet Albatross, which is another novel set in the world that happens concurrently with part one of Jager Thunder. And those characters all, you know, took on a life of their own. And so in Jager, I, I had to take two fully developed casts of characters who had established personalities and who had fans who liked them and give them all screen time in a satisfying way in a combined storyline. So I'd never had to do that before with that big of two diverse casts. And I also... I, I put some stuff into that book that I probably would not put into, say, a first in series, where we spend some time with characters where it doesn't strictly serve the plot, but where I know that the readers want to hear about them and want to know what they're doing, what's going on with them. And people seem really happy with that. The fans that I'm hearing from are not saying, oh, there was no point in mentioning what happened to Felbay. And like, why did you put that in there? Like, <laughs> no, nobody seems to be saying that. So I think it was the right decision. But yeah, it's a really complicated 
novel because I had did have all of these characters that were already round and already had personalities coming together and interacting and I was trying to get them all satisfying arcs. So that's probably why it's the book that it <laughs> that it grew into. So when you wrote The Scarlet Albatross, you were figuring this was going to be a standalone. You didn't know that it was going to end up weaving into the larger story arc? No, I knew. Those sets of characters were going to run into each other at some point. There's things you figure out on the page, but I, I knew they were going to have combined storyline at some point. Or I, I knew at least some of them would. And there's lots what of little connections between the Albatross cast and the Coward Catchers cast right from the very beginning. Some of which are baked into the nature of the characters with their past relationships with one another. I think there are people that enjoy, in fact, I know based on the sales numbers, that there are people that enjoy Cowrie Catchers that have not read Albatross. And I really hope some of them, perhaps listening to this, to the sound of my voice, will consider checking out that novel because you guys really will like it and you need to read it to understand Jager Thunder. The first half of Jager is pretty much a continuation of the Cowrie Catchers storyline. And you don't need to have read Albatross to understand that. But then the Albatross cast tees into the storyline in the middle of Jager Thunter. And at that point, you will be rather confused if you haven't read The Scarlet Albatross. It's a pretty unique way of doing a sequel to dovetail together two different stories like that. It'll be interesting to see how it works out. Yeah, and I part of me is like, oh, I should have just called Albatross Cowrie Catchers book six and Jager Thunder Cowrie Catchers book seven, because that's really what it is. I mean, we're seven book series, essentially. You could conceivably have read Albatross and not Cowrie Catchers. I did reintroduce the Cowrie Catchers cast in this book because the Refugees trilogy is a separate trilogy and, and Albatross is book one and Jager is book two. So my assumption was, some people might be reading through that trilogy and not have read Coward Catchers. And while you will not get as much emotional impact from it, you could conceivably read the book under those circumstances. But the truth is there are a whole lot more people that have read Coward Catchers than have read Albatross. How do you do the planning for your story arcs? I know some authors use index cards, some use an idea board or a wiki. What works for you? Um... <laughs> I usually am plotting a story in my head for maybe two or three years before I start writing it. And during that time, I will sometimes make notes. So I'll have a file called Jager Notes or something, and I'll jot down bits and pieces of scenes, dialogue. I don't usually write action scenes ahead anymore because they just become darlings I have to throw out. I'll write sex scenes ahead. They usually work for whatever reason in the novel, I write dialogue ahead. Really good dialogue only occurs to me once in that particular way. And if, if they're talking in my head, it's a good indication it's about time to start writing the story. I'll grab those, you know, if I'll, I'll jot that down. And then I put those bits and pieces in order. So they're sitting in my document in order. And then I pretty much start, I write chronologically through the story. And I know that doesn't sound very organized, but I do finish novels. <laughs> And I'll make notes as I go along. My my documents always look like pretty much finished work at the top and then tapering down into what I'm actively working on and then like bits and pieces of notes at the bottom that I doubt anyone else could finish the novel from. Yeah, if I ever get Alzheimer's, it'll be terrible because none of my notes will make sense and it will all be very confusing. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hope not. <laughs> 
So one of the things that people often name as a strong suit in your work is that you have these deep characters who are morally and psychologically complex, and they're also very different from each other. How do you go about creating new characters and making them unique? Some of them come that way. Silas was pretty much a fully formed character when he stepped onto the stage. And then some of them grow on the piece of paper. They need something to push against. So there needs to be other characters around them that are different from them. And they tend to define themselves in opposition to other characters to a certain extent. But Jager really, that book really did push my ability to keep that many distinct personalities straight in my head, because that's a lot of different opposing voices. I try to be good about point of view. I try to sink deeply into my point of view character, whoever that is, and really tell the scene from their point of view. I, I don't head hop. And that's important for me to keep the angle of the scene straight and the people's personality straight. What they value is different. There's usually a few things I know about them, like what they consider insulting is an important piece of their personalities a lot of times. Gerard would consider an insult to his compassion and integrity would be really offensive to him, whereas that would not, Sylvia would not, he would just laugh. That would not be a big deal to him. An insult to his intelligence would be a big deal to him. But, you know, he would be like, well, I didn't claim to be a good person, so whatever. Right. What would be an insult to Silas? Probably intelligence because he is irrational, but he has a strong sense of integrity too. So yeah, his um, his skill as a captain for sure, and his business acumen to a certain extent. A, uh, a Gwen. Mm, an insult to his integrity and compassion would get to him. Yeah, probably more than intelligence or his social standing or anything like that. Yeah, no, that probably bother him more. Yeah, he knows how smart he is. He doesn't need anyone to tell him. <laughs> he's not interested about that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, questions as to whether he did the right thing with some of his social justice stuff that went sideways, you know, a manner he didn't expect, you know, that that could get under his skin. I would bet that anybody questioning his motives for that stuff Like if somebody were to charge that he was doing those things for personal gain or personal reasons, I bet that would really bother him. Yes, and that's actually how Silvio approaches him when they first meet in the Great Lodge. He says, you're in line for the throne, but you can't be king. And look how you've made yourself this little kingdom, Mm. which is saying your motives for doing this are not social justice. It's because this is the kingdom you've created for yourself. And that does, you know, that irritates him for a second. (laughs) But Sylvia's pretty good at keying in on what will irritate someone. Identifying people's weak spots is definitely a strong suit of his. What's something that surprised you as you were working on this book? Some of the characters that I kind of wanted to be more background characters, I couldn't make them background characters. For instance, I think that just from a strict plot point of view, the story would be stronger if Basil and Lou were just basically supporting characters. But they have all this history with Silvio and with the other characters, and they ended up kind of insisting on having their own storyline. I don't know. Just the complexity of giving everyone an arc was hard. It was a lot of work, and it took me longer to write the book than I thought that it should have. Oh, here's the thing that surprised me. When I first got it done, I was like, well, this is soup, and nobody's going to like it. So Usually I know what what I think is my best work and what I think is not so good. And 
never tell somebody you don't think something's your best work because then they'll, they'll think it isn't. But I, when I got done with this one, I really wasn't sure whether it was something anybody wanted to read. And a few of the beta readers, especially ones who weren't as attached to the original cast, were also like, I don't know about this plotting. But the people who really liked the original books, they really liked it a lot. So I was like, okay, this is palatable. <laughs> <laughs> people do want to spend time with these characters enough to spend time with them and kind of let the story get where it's going a little bit more slowly i also did not know that the real world was going to have a refugees crisis in quite the same time when i was writing this and that was a completely serendipitous sort of similarity between the books and the real world yeah the books have suddenly become very topical <laughs> yes what is the biggest challenge that you've faced in your writing over the last year? For that book, it was definitely the complexity of the cast. For my writing as a whole, I've done a few things in the last year or so that I've never really tried to do before. I've been writing a short story for the Patreon every month, and that's been super rewarding. It's been easier than I thought it would be, but it's definitely a challenge to keep up with, and I've never tried to do that before. I also decided I wanted to just to write some things that were different than I had written before. So I wrote a couple of little romance novels. They're a lot of fun. I'm going to use a pen name on them. It won't be a secret, but I want to kind of control how they get released. I'm purposely not saying what they're called, but they were a ton of fun to write. They're fantasy. So it's a, it's a fantasy setting. It's, it's a high magic setting. There's actually more magic in them than in my other books, but they're, they're erotic romance. They've got a lot of sex and they've got lots of warm, squishy feelings and lots of magic. And and they're not real long. And I uh, I wrote most of both of them in about a month each, which is really fast to write a novel for me. And yeah, there's a couple of other, I have a few other ideas that are unlike my other work that I would like to try. And all of that is a different kind of challenge and it's different than what I usually do and keeps things interesting. So the last time that I interviewed you is in episode 43, which was a little over a year ago. Since that time, is there anything that you've changed about your approach to the business of writing? Is there anything you've tried new or anything old that you've stopped doing because it wasn't working? Probably, yes. Uh, let's see. I was just starting to do my monthly short stories at that point, I think. And that has done very well. Patreon is now usually my highest single source of income each month for writing which is definitely different than it used to be. Patreon and Audible are the two, or what I get the most money from. Amazon has kind of taken a nosedive, and I think that's true for most writers. Unless you're doing really well with Kindle Unlimited page reads, Amazon eBooks are probably not making as much money for you anymore as they used to. I'm sure there's people that are complete exceptions to that rule, but I think, I, I know I'm not the only author that kind of saw eBooks to take a dive. My paper books are selling more than they did before. They used to be just a thing that only sold when I sold signed copies, and that's not true anymore. I sell paper books every month. And I sell ebooks too, just used to. That was my highest single source of income, and now that's not true anymore. I had them in KU for a while. I made about the same money having the books in Kindle Unlimited with the page reads as I did having them wide from all of other sources. So it didn't really change my income. It just made all of my money be coming from Amazon. <laughs> and all things considered, well, it's easier bookkeeping, but it's more uncertain as far as like if Amazon changes something, then your your income stream suddenly fluctuates hugely. So, you know, if I'm going to make the same money through page reads as I did to all other other distributors, then I would 
probably rather be in all other distributors, although having having it all come from one place does make bookkeeping easier. And when you've got way more than a dozen titles, bookkeeping time is a factor, especially if you're not making huge amounts of money. Like you can spend a lot of money. It's a lot of time trying to figure out whether you're making $20 or $50 a month off a particular title. And that's not time well spent, I don't think. Let's see. I uh, I... I've played with Amazon ads, or excuse me, not, not Amazon, I haven't. Everyone's talking about Amazon ads. I haven't really used them that much at this point. I tried them at the beginning when they were still not very good and uh, was not very impressed, but I know now they've changed and some people are having great success with them. I use Facebook ads to test cover art pretty frequently. I will also use them every once in a while to just kind of get the attention of people subscribed to my page for a particular thing. I use Facebook ads on and off, and I feel like I get I get good value out of them when I use them. I have never figured out how to get Facebook ads to sell books. So I can get people to subscribe to my mailing list. I can run an ad that will offer them the first book in a series free, and I can get a bunch of people onto my mailing list. And I've tried to do analysis of that. It's a lot of work to figure out how much money each subscriber is actually worth to you, because the attrition rate is pretty high. Like, and, and what I was finding was about a third of the people that subscribed will not buy anything or they'll they'll get the free books and then just leave. And then another third of them will stay on your list, but they won't actually buy anything. So you, you, you end up with like 10 or 20% of people who sign up actually buy something. But some of those people go through and buy everything in your catalog. So then, you know, you got to figure out how much, how much each subscriber is truly worth to you. And I, I ended up with a, a number of about $1.21. And of course, it's got to be in a time frame. So over the course of a year, it was about $1.21. But my numbers could be wrong. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I'm working with limited data, and I, I'm still not sure whether that number is right. But yeah, I, I, know, I know some people can get Facebook ads to actually sell books. And if you can get the ads to sell books, then it's much easier to figure out whether it's worth your investment, right? Because you're selling X amounts. And you're spending X amount. And that's a real easy subtraction problem. Whereas if what you can get them to do is sign up to your mailing list, figuring out how much those signups are worth to you, which you're you're paying per sign up. If you're using lead forms, which is what I use, you're paying per sign up. So figuring out how much it's reasonable for you to spend per sign up is a really important number. And it's not an easy number to get to. I hope I'm not repeating things I said the last time I, you interviewed me. I think most of that I figured out in the last year. So I'm still using Facebook ads and I'm sure I will use them again, but I have not figured out how to use them to sell books. Audible has changed something really recently. I don't know if you've even noticed this. They uh, they used to let you gift individual books and now they won't let you do that anymore. You used to be allowed to gift a book in Audible and uh, they would send you these free codes. They send you like 25 and sometimes you can request another 25 when you publish a book uh, to help you get review co- reviews on the book. And now I think you only get them if you request to. Anyway, used to the smartest way to do it was to um, gift, put the code into your own account and then gift the book directly. Because the problem is you can use those codes on any book. So if you say, who wants a free code for a free book to review my book? Lots of people raise their hand that don't plan to spend that code on your book at all. Mm. And and so you could just give them the book directly. The other thing you could do was people on Patreon at a certain level, I give them all of my books in Audible. So it's in their library forever. 
And some of my books are children's books that are only only cost two dollars. So it doesn't make any sense for me to spend a twelve dollar code on a two dollar book. So I was just buying those books with cash and you know gifting them to them. Mm-hmm. Well, I can't do that anymore because now they won't let they won't let anybody gift a specific title, which is a mm-hmm. bit frustrating. That's a really recent change. That's like in the last week change. Huh. But, you know, they say they will give you as, in theory, they'll give you as many codes as you request. So I think I'm going to kind of see whether that's true. (laughs) 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 We'll see how many codes they'll really give me because they're not going to, they refuse to let me spend $2. I have to spend a code. My list has to spend a code. Anyway, I'm rambling, so I've been up all night. (laughs) (laughs) Now that you're done with Jager Thunder, what can your readers look forward to next? The Cormorant is the next book in the Refugees series, and I'm planning to return the focus of that story to the Albatross characters. Um, the Cowrie Catchers cast will still be around in that book. Well, Gwen will be involved in that book a lot. I don't know about Gerard and Silvio, but I'm sh- I'm trying to I'm shifting the main focus kind of back to the the Albatross cast, and then that will be the end of that trilogy, and I will probably write more series in that world and about those characters. The stuff that happens when they go to the Pendulons to look for Gwen's father, that's a completely different, <laughs> a completely different story and series. And yeah, that's uh, that's what's going on with those characters. I need to see how readers respond to some newer stuff. I feel like writing stories about these characters, I know I have an audience for it, but it's kind of a niche audience. Mm. And if they want to keep buying the books, I'll keep writing them. But I would also like to try some different stuff. So, yeah, we'll see. Do you have any convention appearances planned this year? I have been trying to pay off my anesthesia school loan. So I just got that paid off at the end of last year. That's where all of my extra money has been going. So and I've also been traveling a lot for work because if I'm trying to make a lot of money, it means I'm traveling a lot. (laughs) This is the same thing because I travel for work. This year, I don't. I don't know. Maybe, maybe next year. At this at this point in time, I do not have any conventions planned. Although it's possible that in the second half of the year, I will decide to tag something on. Okay. Where can people find your stuff? AbigailHilton.com, and there's links there to everything. My books are wide, so you can find them on Amazon and Kobo and Smashwords and Barnes and Noble, and uh, also on my own website. Calorie Catchers is still at this point in time available as a free podcast. So is Prophet of Panamandora. Those books are also on Audible. All of my stuff is on Audible. If you want to listen to the Jager Thunder audio as it's released, uh, contribute to my Patreon at the $3 level. That's also where you get the monthly short stories. And I'm doing a Calorie Catchers marathon right now in my Patreon feed. And that's in the free tier of the feed. So if you uh, would like to listen back through Cowry catchers with a few less interruptions because I'm trimming out the stories so far and some of the dated content and I'm running two episodes at a time so we can get through it faster. But if you would like to take a trip down memory lane and listen to some of those again, the, the easiest way to do it, if you want to do it for free is to get the Patreon app and then follow me. There's a follow button. It's like it's on the main Patreon page for each person and pretty much works like a podcatcher once you do that. So feel free to listen back to Carrie Catchers that way if you want. I'll be putting a big sample of Jager, or excuse me, of Albatross in the feed immediately after. 
and then Jaeger afterwards. So that'll kind of show people the order they're supposed to go in. P.G. Holyfield is in one of the episodes. He played Leopard Mesia in the original podcast. And uh, I linked people to your tribute episode for that one because it was a really great tribute. Thank you. Yeah. So that's, that's a lot, I know. <laughs> but different people are interested <laughs> in different things. You know, I've, I've got people that only read my ebooks and I've got people that only listen to the audio. And some people are interested in podcasts and some people aren't. So that's kind of a, a tour of where to find stuff. One more thing, if you listen to the old Cowrie Catchers feed or you're just finding it, there's a lot of extras from Cowrie Catchers in my online store. And most of the meta content is not, um, it doesn't cost anything. You do have to go through the checkout at the store because it's not really set up to give you free stuff because it's not in Squarespace's advantage to make it easy to do that. But it's the easiest way for me to give you the content. So things like all of the interviews with all the voice actors, they are there at my online store. They're free. You just have to check out with the file. The outtakes are all there as a single file. People often ask about the music from Calorie Catchers. There's a couple of music episodes. So that kind of stuff is in my online store. It is it's still available. You can still find it. People do approach me sometimes asking for that. Also, all the illustrations from the original Cowrie Catchers podcast are in an art book. There's a hard copy version. There's also a PDF version that's in my store. Hard, hardback is on Amazon. You can find a lot of those illustrations for free in places like Tumblr and Pinterest. And there's a really, really great Kanamandora fan art group on Facebook that is fun to be part of and fans make some super cool art on there. So if you like the art, that's the thing to check out. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast, Abby. Thank you for having me back again. Sorry. I'm a little bit frazzled from veterinary emergencies. It's all good. You take care of those kitties. Good luck with the book. Thanks. Hey there folks. It's Chris. I hope you enjoyed my interview with Abigail Hilton. When you receive this episode, I will be on the road because I'm taking a couple of weeks vacation to go visit my soon-to-be in-laws in Virginia and then to go to Balticon. So I'm not going to be at home at the time this episode is dropping, so I don't have a weekly writing report for you because I don't know what kind of writing I'm going to get done. What I can tell you is that I have an awesome schedule of panels at Balticon this year. And if you go to my website, chrisluster.org, and go to the blog, you'll see a list there of the panels that I'm going to be on, the autograph session, the author readings, a bunch of cool stuff is happening that weekend. That's Memorial Day weekend in Baltimore, Maryland at the Renaissance Harbor Place Hotel. I hope you guys can come out and join us. It is going to be a blast. And I'm particularly excited about this year's Metamore City Live. We're going to have a two-hour block, and we're going to be following the play with a trivia contest called Who Wants to Be a Metamorph? It's going to be super fun. The upstairs neighbors are running their water right now. I'm not going to worry about editing that out because this is just an outro. But hope you guys can all make it to Balticon. It's going to be fantastic. And I will be back next week with another pre-recorded episode. I'm going to be airing my interview with J. Daniel Sawyer. And then the week after that, I'll be back. And we will start our 10th anniversary retrospective on Metamore City with these stories from Urban Legends. So, hope you guys are having a fantastic week. And I will see you again soon. Until then, keep it on the bright side. If you'd like to share your thoughts about the show, 
Send your feedback in text or audio to metamorcityfeedback at gmail.com. To leave a voicemail, dial area code 641-715-3900, then enter extension 255082, followed by the pound sign. My Facebook is facebook.com slash author Chris Lester. The fan group is Fans of Metamore City on Facebook. And my Twitter handle is Ethereus, E-T-H-E-R-I-U-S. If you like this show and want to help me keep making it, you can make a monthly pledge at patreon.com slash author Chris Lester. The links will be in the show notes. That's our show for this week. I'll be back next time with more writing goodness. Until then, keep it on the bright side. This is Chris Lester, signing out. The contents of this podcast are copyright 2015 and 2017 by Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. The show is released under a Creative Commons, attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. So don't change it, don't sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. For more information about this license, please visit creativecommons.org.